Tornadoes hit Indiana hard, and Mike Pence makes a quick response. What's the political angle? Who is Mike Pence? How a Pennsylvania barber was caught off guard. The Trump strategy in Indiana, Evan By gets his address wrong, and Eric Holcomb hands out checks. That plus a lip sync from state troopers and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending August 26, 2016. <music>
This was this was one of those things where he did exactly what he was supposed to do and did it and did it well. And he does it well. Um, and you would expect this, but but I, part of the point I'm trying to make here is that he did what he would have done under any circumstances, but all of a sudden he's got the national media following him, and it's a better photo op than he would have had otherwise. <laughs> so that's the point we want to make here. All right. That's, uh, keep no, doing, I, we're going to keep doing this. We'll keep doing it until we get the, what, the right answer. Uh, you know, Disasters are sort of like the light bulb with, with the moths, with the, with the moths being politicians. And I don't mean that necessarily in a disparaging way. It's sure there is a, an element of politics, and I'm, I don't mean that's a dirty word. But you do want to be seen as being active, being engaged, comforting your constituents. Uh, the worst optics would be if you have, and we've all seen it, whether it's snowstorms or, or hurricanes or whatever, you know, official X, Y, or Z is off, you know, sipping... Yeah. Hot tails somewhere. Check with uh, Jane Byrne, right? Uh, yeah, mm. mayor of Chicago, who former, of, and rapidly so because of, of not being in the right place at the right time when a storm hits. So it's very natural. Uh, but I think also it does, all cynicism aside, I think that there are people in these communities, they want the comfort that comes from having either a president, a governor, a senator, you name it, come and, and pay attention. So it's it's not all uh, dog and pony show. I think there's some uh, some value, no, and some virtue. Oh, to it. I, and I don't mean to suggest that it is. And he wasn't the only politician in Kokomo this week. Joe Donnelly was there. Uh, uh, Susan Brooks was there. Todd Rokita was there. Todd Young, right? Um, it's a must. Well, I, I guess it is. I mean, that's kind of the way it's come around. But to the point of of the comfort, I think John makes an excellent point. Uh, because that's the primary uh, usefulness here. Um, if they get political points for that, then I guess that accrues to the good. Um, but, you know, part of the job is to come for the community. And, and the presence of the highest elected official in the state and others there showing concern for them is, is very useful and very helpful. You mentioned Jane Byrne. Remember during the blizzard of 78 where Mayor Hudnut uh, really, you know, made a, a name for himself shepherding the city through that period of time. Um, it's, a, it's a very useful and important portion of, of, of a, a public servant's uh, term. And you, you don't want to see it happen because it means something bad has happened to other people. But when that does occur, it's good to see, and, it, and it's important to see that kind of uh, contribution. Do you have those kind of storms uh, with that kind of wind velocity, straight line winds and tornadoes, and not have any fatalities? It says something about the fact that People now are understanding why the media does what it does about storm coverage. It used to be when people complained that right. they're missing Wheel of Fortune or whatever it was. Not anymore. People are paying attention, and they're doing it in a way that's saving lives. There's no question that lives were saved because of the way the media covered this. And you had Mike Pence praising the media. Yeah. Um, Remember, however, he had to come back to the state from being out on the campaign trail in order to make his appearances here. <laughs> this reminds me, I remember back in, I think it was when Dan Quayle was vice president, there were some serious tornadoes that swept through uh, the southern part of the state near Evansville. And I remember it was just, that large portion yeah. was just decimated. Really bad. Exactly. And, and so uh, there was a lot of media attention. It's almost analogous here. He was, I think, already in office. But uh, I remember one thing, it was a sort of an economic boon, a mini uh, boom, boomlet to uh, hotels and restaurants in the area because you saw this avalanche of media coming in uh, early in his, his tenure. And it, uh, again, that doesn't make up for all the, the tragedy, but it was... 
any attention probably helps. Back to the campaign trail. The Trump campaign has been reaching out to black voters this week in a variety of ways, and that may have something to do with the fact that Mike Pence made an impromptu stop at an African-American-owned barber shop in Pennsylvania. The barber, a man named Henry, trimmed the governor's hair after asking how Indiana First Lady Karen Pence would like to see it cut. He performed his duty with reporters, staff, and the Secret Service watching. He and Pence talked about their shared experience with gray hair, amongst other things. Things. And when he was done, the governor offered to pose for a picture with Henry, and that led to this exchange. Now, your name are? Mike Pence. Mike Pence. Yes, sir. I'm the governor of the state of Indiana, uh, okay. running for vice president of the United States. Go ahead, man. I am. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, vice president? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, boy. I'm running with Donald Trump, so I'm his running mate. Okay, all right. He just tapped me a month ago, so we were just in town doing a rally and campaigning, and I heard you were the place to come for a haircut. Oh, boy. And you're very gracious to have us here. What's you. great? Great. Good man to meet you. Give me a handshake again, man. Thank boy, you so boy, much. this is great. Boy, woo! Look <laughs> this history here, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty clear Henry had no idea he was cutting the hair of a potential vice president, Mike McDaniel. What's the moral of that story? I, that's a, that's America in, in the raw sense when you're out on the campaign trail, especially when you're running for vice president. If you're running for president, people will recognize you immediately. But when you're running for vice president in a different part of the country, you're going to have that kind of stuff happen. That's a natural reaction. I love the way Governor Pence handled it. And the guy was clearly surprised and, and seemed to be honored by the fact that he just cut his hair. And it was... It was a great exchange. It was typical of what a campaign appearance like that is today. Is that bad staff work? Should, should somebody have told Henry who that was? I would hope that somebody would have, but uh, they didn't. <laughs> and I thought, it was, I thought Mike handled it beautifully. Would, would Tim Kaine have been recognized in that circumstance? Who knows? But it's obvious if I'm Mike Pence... I want to go where people don't know me because there's a better chance they're going to like me because here where we know him, nobody likes him. So it's probably refreshing to be unknown. (laughs) He got his hair cut here for the benefit of the cameras uh, about a month ago, I think. his hair grows kind of quickly, I think. fast-growing hair. He probably has to put out a lot in tips, and I hope Henry made a fair tip in that exchange <laughs> because it uh, looked like he did a nice job. Um, it, as far as attracting African-American voters, the, the Trump-Pence campaign, they're going to have a lot of success. I think they're trying real hard. <laughs> and will it work? Uh, no. The answer, the answer there, Jim, when, uh, when Donald Trump this week made this pronouncement, that he would, uh, it wasn't really, there weren't any ifs, ands, or buts. He would get 95% of the African-American vote come November. And I, and I forget the journalist who uh, was asking Mike Pence about it within an hour or two of that pronouncement, first time he had heard it, and he just burst out laughing, uh, which is about the most uh, honest, candid response you can give. And then he followed up by saying, well, that's just, that's just Donald Trump, <laughs> sort of passing it off as sort of the bluster that goes with it. But... Uh, the answer, uh, no, he can't get 95%. I'm pretty sure he won't get 95 <laughs> All right, the Trump-Pence campaign is teaming up with the Indiana Republican Party to boost get-out-the-vote efforts in November. The Trump campaign is developing a ground game here with three paid staffers and a state headquarters. Chairman Rex Early and co-chair Tony Samuel appeared with GOP Chairman Jeff Cardwell this week to spell out new plans that are unusual for a presidential candidate in this state. They include using volunteers to make thousands of phone calls and knock on thousands of doors. Here's Samuel, followed by Early. Our goal now for the general election is to be the first state on the board uh, in the win column for the Trump-Pence campaign. And I'm telling you, we're going to be on 
Hillary like a fat boy on a muffin. It's going to be, it's, we're, going to, we're going after him. Classic Rex early there. John Ketzenberger, explain the investment here, please. Uh, well, I, I think that maybe Rex Early and Donald Trump are half-brothers or something because you never know what's going to come out of their mouths. Um, you know, it would be terribly embarrassing if Donald Trump does not win Indiana. And so they're going to make the effort to win Indiana, um, which is say, says something given that Indiana is such a reliably uh, Republican state. But I think Tony Samuel's point is well taken. They want it to be the old 6.01 p.m. and be first on the, on the, the board so that, uh, you know, they hope that that creates some, some excitement. Well, some of this is about defending Mike Pence's honor, right? Well, I think that certainly that's part of it. And I think there's an effort to uh, contest states that, uh, that that campaign sees as winnable. And certainly with uh, the state's governor on the ticket, one would assume that it would fall into... Uh, into that uh, category. What I think makes the, the whole vote out, get out the voter campaign somewhat adds an interesting twist this time is that, you know, these are in many cases non-traditional voters. So, you know, the, uh, yep. being able to go to the file cabinet back in the quaint days or they log on to the computer and say, here are the voters that are, we know how they'll behave, they're Republicans, staunch Republicans are going to do this and this and this, we want them. A lot of the people, keep in mind back in the primary, a lot of new registrants are people who had not uh, participated actively for decades, maybe. So it's, there's a bit of a wild card here. You want to make sure you identify the right people and then get the right people to the polls. True or not, um, the Trump campaign's got better places to spend money, don't they? They're not spending a lot of money here. I mean, uh, what they're talking about doing is making the trip around Indiana, passing out yard signs and bumper strips and buttons and kind of stuff. It's not like they're spending a bunch of money on TV, <laughs> but they are going to take it seriously and get out there and try to have a presence. And I think that's a smart thing to do because, as I told Rex, uh, I was state chairman when Bush 43 uh, won Indiana and it was announced at 601. And so if he can beat my record, he's really done something. But uh, I think they will be on the board by 602 for Donald Trump. Will Hillary Clinton spend resources in Indiana? Hillary Clinton's spending resources in Indiana now. There's a lot of phone calls, door knocking. Uh, she's on television uh, here in Indiana. So she's on television? I've seen her on television, on national, on national TV. But, right. Um, she didn't spend television money here in May. No, but um, I, there is a presence. There is effort. I think what John said is true, that it's difficult to identify uh, voters directly that are Trump supporters because of the unusual nature of who's supporting Donald Trump. There are a lot of traditional Republican voters that are not willing, I believe, to support Donald Trump. And if they're going to find them, it won't be from voter rolls. And I'm not sure if the, if the organizations in Indiana that are rallying on town squares in certain places will turn over their membership to the campaign. But they seem to be going after a segment of society that likes to be hidden. You think Hillary can win Indiana? Uh, that may be tough, but I will tell you that I don't think that Trump is going to blow anybody out here if he wins at all. All right. Does okay, Evan, 603 maybe. 603, okay. Does Evan Bayh live in Washington, D.C. or Indianapolis? It's a question the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate can't seem to shake. Bayh owns an Indianapolis condo and says it's his primary residence. That condo is located on the north side of Indianapolis. Republicans say his primary residence is a multi-million dollar home in Washington. When Bayh was in Lafayette recently, a TV reporter asked him a question about residency. He volunteered his Indianapolis 
Indianapolis address, but said he lives on Canterbury Court, not Canterbury Square, his actual address. Here's the exchange. Well, 1142C, uh, Canterbury Court, Indianapolis, Indiana. It's on my driver's license. Well, we think it's pretty funny, and I think a lot of Hoosiers um, do as well. But, you know, behind the laughter and the jokes and, you know, yeah, it's not it's a gotcha moment. But um, it's an opportunity for um, voters in Indiana to see where the truth is with Evan Bayh. That's Jay Kenworthy of the Todd Young campaign. John Schwanis, innocent mistake or something more? Uh, I would have to assume it's an innocent mistake. I doubt somebody was but, controlling his mind to. Well, uh, but you know. but, but he, should he know his address? I mean, the, the, part of the problem here is that Canterbury Court is an actual address. Well, the fact that he volunteered it. Now, if anybody asks me a phone num- my phone number address, I always like uh, what is it? and I mess it up. But when you volunteer it, you know, usually you think you. Can. You don't know your address. Uh, <laughs> I sleep in a different place every night. Yeah. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> I think we just made news here. Yeah. Wow. It was, is the Todd Young campaign making too much of this? Uh, well, it fits in with their theme. Now, I will say there, you know, there's a hair's difference between court and square. Um, I understand there are two different uh, addresses involved here, but that seems awful close and, and you know, to the term of innocent mistake. Um, but, you know, you've got to give them credit for going after it. And it fits in with their theme, and they're going to go for all it's worth because this is something they've gone after uh, Evan Bywith for almost 30 years now. Uh, do you make a mistake answering the question that way? <clears throat> Well, did he make a mistake? Yeah, the court versus square. Yes. Yeah, but should, um, he, should he have avoided the question? No, he shouldn't have avoided the question. It was a silly question to begin with. The fact is that the guy running against him is unknown, unsupported by the leadership of his own uh, caucus. He's been left out to dry because he hasn't moved poll numbers. He's not going to move poll numbers. The day that Evan Bayh put his name on the dotted line, the race was over for Todd Young. Uh, really? You want to tell people that the race is over at this stage? I don't think Todd Young has any prayer of beating Evan Bayh, and people aren't going to believe that Evan Bayh is an interloper in Indiana. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an argument that makes no sense. Does Todd Young need to find better issues? No. This, this is a key component of the fact is it's not that he doesn't live in Indiana, and everybody understands that he doesn't, clearly. I mean, when he has a condo up there, but when he comes to town, he stays in a motel, and his light bill is never more than $20. I mean, clearly, it's a joke. But what's important here is the fact that he continues to lie about it. I mean, that is so phony. And this guy is so phony about so much of everything he does that people are starting to catch on. And I think it's smart for them to go after him on this kind of constant lying about this kind of silly stuff. It doesn't, he doesn't have to do it. All he's got to do is say, look, you know, I spend most of my time in Washington because that's where my family's been, so forth and so on. But I'm running here, and I've been in, in the state for a long time. But he continues to act like he does live there, and he doesn't. Nobody in Indiana believes that. And it just plays up the fact that the guy continues to lie about silly stuff. If he's going to lie to you about that, what else is he going to lie to you about? But if you look at the history, I mean, you make a good point, but if you look at the history of where uh, Indiana's elected officials who serve in the U.S. House or Senate. I think they just said that, John. No, but the point is, you look at where they have done it. Over the past, they've used, uh, you know, post office boxes. They have used neighbors or friends' addresses or relatives. So why lie about it? I, I, don't, I don't know if he's lying about it. He does own it. 
He may not know the address. If I ask 100 people on the street right now what their address is, 100 of them will tell me their right address. Well, now, is it it right on his driver's license? Because if not, we'll see. This could be voter fraud. He's been voting at the wrong address. He didn't give the one that was on his driver's license. This discussion points out how absurd the whole argument is. It's an absurd argument. It's an absurd argument, and they're desperate, and this is the best they've got. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, where do you think Evan Bai lives? Your choices are A, Indianapolis, B, Washington, D.C., or C, it doesn't matter. Last week's question, do public school parents deserve a tax break? 49% said yes, 21% said no. 30% said it should be based on need. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash iwir and look for the poll. Lieutenant Governor Eric Holcomb got a chance to stand in for the governor this week. The GOP candidate for governor was passing out ceremonial checks around the state. The million-dollar checks will pay for road improvements. Meanwhile, Holcomb's Democratic opponent, John Gregg, is working uh, to uh, tie Holcomb to Mike Pence's more controversial moves as governor, like RIFRA. He calls Holcomb a taller version of Mike Pence. I'm my own guy. Obviously, uh, governors in Indiana have always been their own person. I, I suspect if you look at anyone who followed their uh, predecessor, they, they were not much, not much like it. And that's Holcomb's response. Joel Miller, is he his own guy? I don't think so. He said in his announcement that he was going to carry on the, the efforts of, of Mike Pence when he, um, when, when he was uh, uh, named the uh, lieutenant governor for, all the way back to then. But just your video, he handed out checks in Fishers, Carmel, and Westfield. And I'm sure that everybody out there all over the state is looking at the sidewalks, streets, and bridges in their county and thinking, thank God Carmel got some help from the state. <laughs> he also ha- handed out some in Evansville and in northern yeah. Indiana. Um, and, well, go ahead. Well, first of all, the program was a great program. They had $425 million surplus that they put towards this program with a 50% guarantee that half of it would go to, or guarantee that half of it would go to rural counties. And that uh, the cities and counties had to submit lists, the BMV, or BMV, the highway department decided which ones would get the money. And uh, it's a great, great program. And for them to spread this kind of money around while you still have time to actually pave roads and fix bridges during the, the construction season. During, during campaign well, season. Well, also during construction <laughs> yeah, season. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great thing for city yeah. time. Remember, this was an issue that was really pushed by these community leaders to get this money. So oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's out there. But this is a good example of why being lieutenant governor is an advantage for Eric Holcomb. Oh, sure. You know how a half hour ago I said that described disasters as the, the flame or the light bulb that's attracting the, the political moths. The other light bulb, or the second best light bulb, is the check presentation. Who would not want to be able to stand next to a check, real or oversized, a facsimile, to giving money to communities? Um, as Mike says, it's a worthwhile program, and, and there's no downside to it if you're uh, an elected official, unless, unless you do have people in other communities saying, where's, where's my share? Well, you do uh, have Indiana, a, a problem with the roads, where we are billions and billions of dollars behind on the on the re, uh, resurrection of bridges, uh, maintenance of roads. Um, so this is not even a drop in the bucket. Right. This is a very small part. Now, it's nice to be able to do that, but unless the, the next governor and the legislature get serious about road funding, 
um, then Indiana's in a bad way, and that's where the real action has to be. Finally, the state fair ended this week, but before it did, four state troopers assigned to the fairgrounds created this lip sync. Mike McDaniel, do they teach that at the academy? I hope so. I mean, that, you know, there's probably more goodwill generated by the number of hits this video's received. And it's gotten a lot. To show that they have a good sense of humor, they do great things for people every day out there, and it's a good exposure for the Indian State Police, which is one of the great state police departments in all of America, I think. Yeah. Um, you think they get in any trouble for that? I hope not. I think it was great. I'm looking forward to the Indiana Week in Review version someday. There you, oh, go. There you go. We'll do beauty school dropout. Very, well. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. The only way you'll hear me sing is if it's a lip sync. Uh, can't carry well, it to it. There, there's also video of the uh, troopers playing some of the games on the Midway as well. And so I think they have a good time out there, just like everybody else at the Indiana State Fair. The great Indiana State Fair. Look forward to it next year. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Joel Miller, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.